Well, hello there, and thank you for tuning in to the Shameless Sex Podcast. I'm Amy, sex educator, somatic sex and relationship coach, and sex shop owner. And I'm April, VP of an international high-end pleasure product company and boss queen sex toy mogul. We're best friends who make our own rules about who we are as sexual beings. With everything from how to be a badass in the bedroom, to pussy praising, to top tips for bringing your relationship to the next level, we have something just for you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Don't forget to head on over to our website at shamelesssex.com for more. Hello, everyone. Amy and April here. Hello. And we are not live from the Caribbean, but this episode will actually be um, recorded or it was recorded from the Caribbean. We, we were, were basking in a hot room. It was like sweaty sauna. Yes, picture working us hard. drenched in sweat, sweat while there's a party going on outside. outside. And everyone was <laughs> hungry and thirsty. And wanted to come into the one room that we had Wi-Fi on that we had to stay and have this wonderful recording with our guest star, Reed Mihoko. So this is a really special episode because as much as you like to hear uh, our two just absolutely wonderful voices, yeah. we have a guest speaker, Reed Mihako, who is a, an incredible uh, sex educator. I believe he does sex coaching as well, but now he's starting to branch out and to do bigger things for sex educators. So not only is he a sex educator for the masses, but he's actually teaching sex educators on how to up their game uh, through things like Sex Geek Summer Camp um, and a number of various modalities. And he is awesome. He is a total, brilliant, fun, playful sex geek. And you are going to love this episode. And Amy actually took the sex um, camp. What's it called? Sex Why Whatever. Take it. You go there. Well, you go there. I guess you learn you, things. You out. Learn yeah, things. I went there. Yeah. yeah. I went there. And you came away with a lot of interesting stories, beautiful experiences. Yeah, it's like a combination of a place for people to go and learn about how to be an awesome sex educator and also it's kind of sexy because you're home to sexy people so the late night party gets a little sexual and i do want to say this episode is all about casual sex and uh, i learned so many things uh speaking and interviewing reed about casual sex i realized that i probably was making i don't want to say mistakes but i think i could up my game and improve my casual sex game um, and I think the takeaways are are vast with this. Even if you're not having casual sex, I think it's interesting to learn um, just about the openness. Yeah, yeah. He has a lot of really good information on how to do casual sex ethically, even if it's a one night stand or with someone that you're planning on having, you know, casual, so like non committed sex with multiple times. He has a lot of really good protocols. I think it's like the seven step protocol and um, and uh, some safer sex information. So there's a lot of really, really awesome information, whether uh, you're having casual sex with a one-night stand or with someone regular. And this information just kind of applies in general to relationships. Absolutely. Communication. Yeah. Communication, yeah. And empowered language. I mean, he's he's an excellent resource and a very educated, amazing human being. So yes. I'm excited. So without further ado, here are Amy and I interviewing Reed Mahalko. Yay, enjoy. Mostly what I do is geek out on ways for people to feel less ashamed, more self-confident, and be better communicators and create healthier relationships. It, you know, and for me, like my journey as you know, the child of two parents who loved each other very dearly, they shared that special hug four times. 
and my my three brothers and I grew up watching two people who really loved each other, like deeply, deeply loved each other. Uh, slowly kind of their relationship die in this kind of, you know, death by paper cuts in that my mom and dad had really horrible communication skill sets that they inherited from their parents, my grandparents, um, and eventually their inability to talk about what they really needed in their relationship, to ask for what they wanted, to work through their upsets, would eventually have my mother turn to alcohol <clears throat> as a coping mechanism to just try to, you know, wrestle with the times. And my dad trying to make my mom happy and in a very kind of John Wayne school of being a dude. Um, you know, he became a workaholic because he thought that that more money would fix everything. And while my mom and dad stayed together till my mom passed away first, they were very, very miserable. And it wasn't until the end of their relationship, uh, you know, the latter years where they were both just so exhausted from fighting that they kind of surrendered and gave up the fighting part. And there was a slight little uptick in their happiness. And I would not recommend that exhaustion as a tactic for improving your relationships. And I just went off on this trajectory of trying to figure out what were my mom and dad missing so that I didn't have to turn into them or repeat the sins of my parents. Because like my mom and dad, you know, we catch them making out in the kitchen and cuddling on the couch. Like early in their relationship, they just hadn't built up all of this emotional scar tissue yet. And so like all the basic programming and, and my brothers and I are all pretty well adjusted and healthy. But, you know, it was when we started like like 10, 11 for my for me for uh, I'm the second oldest. Um, but like from 10 all the way till they passed away, like just shit was fucked up. And so when I was leaving high school and going off to college for me was when I was really like, like shit, like I need to not be like my mom and dad. Like I, I knew that, that, that love just wasn't enough because, you know, I had evidence that my mom, you know, they still loved each other madly, but they were so angry at each other. So in college is when I really started like trying to figure out what my mom and dad were missing, but it still was very unconscious. Like I didn't know that's what I was doing. And it wouldn't be until about eight or 10 years later, after I left college, I was bartending in New York City and, you know, kind of starting to sow my wild oats as a promiscuous young man, you know, Tom Cruise cocktail. It happens when bartending. you're a bartender, I, <laughs> flipping the bottles well, pretty nicely over there. Whee. Yeah. And, and, and I'd had some, you know, I'd fallen in love with my high school sweetheart and lost my virginity with her in college um, like there was a lot of really awesome stuff. Oh, so you lost your virginity in and, college. Yeah, yeah, I was, wow. I was, you know, very much like I'm gonna save my virginity till I get married. Not from a religious perspective, but that just sounded kind of neat. Like I'll make this be special. And then I fell in love with my high school sweetheart, and and realized I was just waiting to get married. And she was really super awesome. It's like, hey, you know, I want to. I'm ready to lose my virginity. And whenever you're ready, let me know. And so she didn't pressure me or anything like that. Eventually, you know, we would uh, consummate our relationship. And I was really good at monogamy. But then so you were freshman, monogamous with her, Reed? Yeah, I was monogamous with her. This is like, remember, this is back in high school. Right. Um, oh, in college. And in college, yeah. Okay. And I was monogamous in high school. I just was a virgin in high school. 
and then um, you know lost my virginity in college. And it wasn't until my sophomore year that I fell in love with a woman in my art class. And then I was in love with two people at once. And that could only mean societally that I didn't love didn't love my high school sweetheart because I was in love with somebody else. I didn't have the context that we have now around polyamory and open relationships and you know, like other relationship choices because this was back in the in the late 80s when all this was happening. And, you know, my initial gut reaction was, well, I'll I'll introduce the two of them together somehow and they'll both see how awesome they are and we'll figure this out. We'll make it work. I don't know. And, you know, I thought that was a great idea. I introduced the two of them. They thought that was a horrible idea. It was very awkward, very weird. But the initial impulse to just admit and be transparent, years later I would realize that that hunch, that that impulse was the right impulse. And and we'll talk more, you know, as we get into diving into casual sex about, you know, navigating these things. But, you know, eventually, years later, bartending in New York City, um, wrestling with being promiscuous, trying to do it ethically, um, wanting to just be a nice person and leave people happier for having slept with me, which, you know, isn't every cisgendered white guy's M.O. around being promiscuous. But, you know, I really wanted to be a nice person. I think that's and, a great mission statement, really, too. <laughs> leave things well, better and, than and, you find. It's the camping yeah. mentality. Exactly. And that's the thing is like, like one of my life mantras is leave the campsite better than you found it. Um, and the second thing that being a bartender gave me was cultural permission to talk to people nonstop about sex and relationships. Cause it wasn't creepy if the bartender asked you, how's your love life? And so, you know, over the 20 years that I was a bartender in New York city, like I've literally had over I mean, well, now with another, you know, 15 years of being a sex educator, definitely. But just as a bartender, conservatively speaking, I'd probably had over 150,000 conversations with men and women in 20 years of bartending. You know, if you conservatively figure I talk to six people a night in an eight hour or 10 hour shift, like that was 10 years, 20 years of field research, just trying to figure out what was working for people and what wasn't and and towards the end of that 20 years is when my friends would pull me aside and say hey the advice that you give people around dating is better than the advice we're getting from our therapists and we think you should go pro and and that was the beginning of me being like really like i'm i'm a bartender i'm an actor i'm you know i'm having a great life, but like, you really think my advice is that useful? And that's when I really started realizing that my whole life had been dedicated to trying to figure out how not to do what my mom and dad did. And then when you look at the bigger picture, like healthy relationships, those communication and emotional skill sets are the same whether you're having a relationship that lasts, uh, you know, for one night. And, and as a one night stand or if it's a relationship that lasts for a lifetime, like how you have healthy relationships and how you be a great communicator and how you leave people feeling better than you found them. Those are life skills, not just for casual sex, but for just 
life in general and all kinds of relationships. And so that's how I kind of turned into, you know, the, the, this nerd about how do you have healthy relationships? And then I personally just happened to be queer and super slutty and polyamorous. And those, you know, the skill sets that allow me to have, you know, several, you know, dozen or however you want to count them, like to have a community of lovers and have several deep relationships running congruently and have everybody happy with me for the most part. You know, every once in a while somebody's pissed at me for some reason, but it's usually because I forgot to tell them that I ate all the, you know, cottage cheese or something. It's not because those, I cheated on. But for some of our listeners that don't understand polyamory, can you kind of give a quick rundown of like what that looks like? Because it can be complex. Polyamory for, elevator yeah. speech. Yes, exactly. Elevator yeah. pitch. A, 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 absolutely. So, so the, the basic, um, I'm going to come at this sideways because it'll make more sense when we talk about casual sex. Um, <clears throat> but the idea is if you imagine we were all taught music but taught in conservatory. And we were taught that classical music is, is the music. If, if you're not playing classical, then you're not a serious musician. Um, the way I look at relationships is from a point of self-expression. The music of intimacy, the music of love, the music of sex, that comes through everybody differently. And we, could, we don't even need to debate what kind of music is more evolved. Country music you know, might be more evolved than classical, might be more evolved than jazz or rock. Like, that's a debate. My question is, how does music come through you? If you're a jazz musician, then go play jazz because you'll be happiest contributing jazz to the world. If you're a classical musician, by all means, play classical. We need great, amazing classical musicians in the world. Um, and so don't shame yourself for being into German death speed metal <laughs> when everyone else tells you that classical is the right kind of music, I think we should come from a self-expression perspective. So when you look at it that way, monogamy is a great relationship choice if you're monogamous. Open relationships are great relationship choices if, if the music of relationships comes through you in an open relationship kind of way. It's not about which is more evolved it's that you're choosing the relationship style that makes you happiest and dating your species. Like you start a band with somebody else who loves playing that same kind of music. That's what's involved. That's the sideways answer too. Polyamory is basically an open relationship style and a type of non-monogamy. It's about ethical non-monogamy where everybody who's involved knows we're in an open relationship. And then you start negotiating what works best for you from there. Polyamory is different than swinging because polyamory, it's okay to fall in love with other people. Um, it's okay to be in love and never have sex with people. In swinging, it's okay to have sex with other people. Just don't fall in love with them. And that's more the ideas of you know what is a good fit to keep things simple and elegant for people. I and love simple the means with the music relating to polyamory. I think that's a gorgeous like interaction to help folks understand um, what polyamory is. Well, yeah, um, and again, the, like so, oh, so no, go ahead. poly just becomes it's just a kind of music. 
you know, some people want a band with, you know, 14 instruments. Some people just want to duet and then have guest people, you know, sit in on their albums or something like that. And then some people just want to be a duet forever, like Captain and Tennille, and never cut a recording with anybody else. Like, so again, like, I, I'm not, I'm not poo pooing on monogamy either. These are all valid relationship choices. But what culture doesn't do is give us permission to figure out which one makes us happiest. You you've talked a lot about ethics. So on the note of casual sex, how does one have casual sex ethically? Okay, so the first thing, this is where it gets really nerdy and exciting for me because this conversation wasn't happening when I was, you know, back in New York City, you know, and back in college. Like, you know, there was a part of, of growing up that was about getting laid, but no one was really talking about getting laid in a way where you made people happier for having casual sex. Um, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of stuff that wasn't being talked about because people were afraid that they'd ruin the opportunity to get laid or they'd make things super awkward and confusing. And, you know, for me, the ethics of casual sex is really, you know, to, to not take your casual sex casually and to be willing to forego the chance of getting laid like that you would choose not to get laid rather than make somebody upset. Which sounds so simple and so like, oh my goodness, Reed, like duh. But when you look at how much sex negativism and slut shaming and, and how ill-prepared people are about having transparent conversations about their wants, needs, and desires because of shame, because of social stigma, because you're not supposed to admit you want sex, especially if you're, you know, if you identify as a woman, um, like all these really complex bullshit reasons that culture gives us that really just shut us down and keep us from connecting. When you start deconstructing all of that and then you realize like ethical behavior around casual sex is doing your due diligence and being willing to risk the sex at all in service of making sure that everybody's going to be better for it. So the, the idea is to don't take your casual sex casually. And then when you, and when you have that epiphany, then you can start looking for tools and ideas on how do you, how do you leave people feeling better? For that, the they were generous with their Coming genitals. back to that again, leave things better than you find them. It's like communication. Exactly. And I love that, the openness. So on another note with casual sex, you know, we're all about living this shame-free, shameless sex state of mind and also just free of shame in, in your life and being vulnerable. But what do you think uh, are some ways that we can take the shame out of this casual sex well, one of the ways you can do it um, is to just start talking about it, like like understand, realize when you're feeling ashamed, when you're hesitating about something, when you feel guilty or that you're like a bad person to just speak up and say, hey, you know, I'm feeling I'm feeling ashamed right now. I'm feeling vulnerable. I'm feeling guilty. Um, I'm feeling confused um, and practice saying what it is that you're not saying which is just a great relationship skill set, period, but also works really well for casual sex. And and where it starts to get a little bit tricky is you, you tell people, hey, just have shameless sex. But when you when you make that kind of bumper sticker advice, 
you don't give people the actual steps to be able to have um, to walk themselves through something that they've never even really practiced or experienced before. So the, the two main things for me personally, the two tools that I've I had to create for myself because, you know, people might look at my videos online or or watch me speaking at an event or something and be like, oh, my goodness, Reed, he just has his shit together. He is he is on he is on. He's just he's got it all handled. What people don't know about me and I try to remind everybody is that I'm actually very insecure. I was the overweight, you know, super um, like nerdy, dorky, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh grader. And so I and I had an alcoholic mom who is emotionally and verbally abusive when she was drunk. So I'm actually very insecure. I'm just super secure with how insecure I am. And that's like a superpower in the adult world, like, because everybody's trying to be like, oh, Rico Suave, and just like, hey, I got it all together. And I walk around like a Muppet on espresso, just being like, hey, everybody, I'm a little nervous. That's amazing. But because, but because I speak up about what's real for me, it, it does two things. It gives other people permission to actually be real back. Or it scares the people who can't handle me being real away. So you want to kind of scare all the bad fits away and then attract all the good all the good fits for you in life by just being real. And even that advice flies in the face of common sense where you're supposed to be trying to be attractive and you're not supposed to rock the boat or ruin the moment. And I'm about like if you can ruin the moment by being honest, you were never supposed to have that moment. And and when everybody's being honest and you can have real conversations, then it starts to become possible to have amazing casual sex because it's an assessment tool. You scare away the people who can't actually be truthful in the moment, who can't actually handle being vulnerable. And to have amazing casual sex over and over and over again um, and have the people you sleep with send their friends to sleep with you. Because you made them feel so safe in the shitty world with Tinder and all and Grinder and these dating apps that can that have given us access to casual sex, but with no assessment. And so a lot of people can feel empowered about having casual sex, but they're having shitty casual sex. If you start learning how to speak up and be real with people, um, then you start to change what's actually possible and then you build a reputation for being this really awesome human being and then you find other people who are awesome human beings who may or may not want to have casual sex or or friends with benefit sex or whatever and so the the two tools that i created for myself that you know to navigate all this is one is the safer sex elevator speech which is about uh having an, an easy yet powerful way to have your safer sex conversation. Understanding, you know, now as a nerd, I realized that most people were never taught how to have a conversation about safer sex and that everybody's afraid about ruining the moment. So they wait for the other person to speak up first. And when both people or all three people or four or five people, if you're having an orgy, if everybody's waiting for the other person to start the conversation and nobody knows how to have the conversation, no one has the conversation and then people feel anxious 
they have another couple of shots of tequila and then they're trying to have drunken casual sex, which, you know, I don't mind being a little bit buzzed when I'm having sex, but the best casual sex I've ever had in my life, especially group sex, is when everybody's sober. But to have the conversations you need to have sober around casual sex takes a fairly decent emotional IQ and an amount of courage, but you can practice and build up the courage and then Give you can an increase example, your emotional Reed, IQ. Please. Give us an example of, let's say you're in a situation, you're the having casual speech? sex, the elevator speech. Yeah. Exactly. What's your elevator speech read? What it looks like. Cause people yeah. always are like, let's so, have a safe sex conversation, yeah. but some folks may not know how to so, approach it. So, so people who are listening, um, and it's appropriate, like if you're listening to this podcast and you're driving, don't do this while you're driving, but check this out later. Um, you can go to readaboutsex.com, R-E-I-D, aboutsex.com, forward slash elevator. That'll bring you to an article, free article on the elevator speech. And it's seven steps. And you can even sign up and download the, um, the handout so you can print it out. So you have it on your fridge or you have it by your bed night, you know, your nightstand, or you carry it in your wallet or whatever. And then you practice your elevator speech with people as a means of, of taking what is awkward and getting it out in the open and making it okay to talk about this stuff. So the seven steps are um, you share when you were last tested and what you were tested for, like what your results were. And you start with that because that's the most difficult thing for people to talk about. So start with the difficult stuff first because all the rest becomes easier. So you share your when you were last tested, what your results were. Then you share um, it, what I call your win-win information, Love which the win -win. is that's we're all about the win-win. Yeah, like always. Yeah, yeah, and it's like it's like what what can I share with you about me that will help you win with me? Because if you if I help you win with me, it becomes a win-win. And that's things like I mean, for like, me, I tell I people that I have a really amazing ability to spread eagle and keep my legs in the air, <laughs> or like what it is that you like, to, how you like to be pleasured. Oh, well, maybe. well, this, remember like, this, this airplane move steps. I can do. Yeah, yeah. So, so the the main win win information is things like: Do you have preferred pronouns? Relationship status? Um, you know, please only refer to my, my penis as Batman or you like never refer to, no, don't use the C word if you're referring to my vulva, like whatever those things are that people should know about you around your identity. So for me, I share that I'm a queer polyamorous slut. And then, you know, people can ask me more questions about well, what does that mean? But then I'm moving on to the, the, the next questions or the next steps, which are what are my safer sex needs and protocols? And I'll, I'll, I'll demonstrate the whole thing in a second. Step number four is, is there any new information since I was last tested that you should know about? Maybe there was a condom break or, you know, uh, you know, I forgot to take my birth control for the last four days. So I'm kind of I'm off, um, you know, my sequence. And then the last three steps are something that you like sensually or sexually doesn't even have to be something you want to do with this particular person, but you're sharing something that you like, something that you don't like. And then the last step is you ask them, and how about you? And what this ends up doing is you end up giving them in a kind of two or three minute speech, right? Because that's why it's called an elevator speech. It's like those business pitches elevator they talk pitch. about. Totally. Yeah. But you're giving people the information 
about you know when you were tested, like what your your health status is, what your identifiers are, relationship agreements are, things like that that might be important for them, right? Because somebody might not want to sleep with you because you're married. So don't withhold that. Like let them know right off the bat, hey, I'm I'm in an open marriage, because that might be a bottom line for somebody. Um, then you share your your safer sex protocols. You know, you need condoms, you need gloves, you need this, you need that. Then you tell them if there's anything new information that they need to know to bring them up to date currently around sexual health and practices. And, and then those with those, that person before typically. No, I, no. I, I have the entire conversation with everybody. Like I've used the elevator speech to actually hit on people because the thing we don't understand is we're so worried about ruining the moment that we don't see that transparent communication is actually an assessment tool. Because when I share with you in two or three minutes what I need to have you know, safer sex, to, to feel good about the sex I'm having with somebody, even if you're a complete stranger, what you say after I ask you, and how about you? What you tell me in the next two to four minutes allows me to assess the situation. Do you have your words at all? Do you know what you like and don't like in bed? You know, when were you last tested? And and again, like we are so worried about ruining the moment that we miss this opportunity to use communication as an assessment tool to figure out how we should play or if we should even be playing at all. So somebody who's never been tested who doesn't know what they like in bed, um, you know, who who's not really sure about what they want. That person doesn't have their words in a way where I'm like, okay, well, maybe I want to make out with them or play spin the bottle, but I don't know that I want to fuck this person. I don't know how they're going to handle it the next morning. However, somebody who's like, oh, well, you know, I got tested three months ago. I got tested for chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, HIV. I was clear for these things. Um, sex protocol wise, like I'd love to use gloves. Um, I'm really in the strap on sex, uh, not so much into pain. Uh, oh, we need to use condoms for any kind of penetration. Oh, by the way, like I love swallowing. So if you want to come in my mouth, that's really cool. Um, and then my safe word is orange. Like that person is a, I can treat that person differently in how I want to engage with them casually because they're at a black belt or brown belt level of having their words. Whereas I should treat as somebody who's, who's a beginner, who's a white belt a little bit differently. It doesn't mean I don't have to play with the white belt, but I'm not going to throw down with them like they're a black belt. But if I never have this conversation, how do I know? Is this making sense? Yes, very much so. Can you give us your elevator speech? We want to hear uh, yes, the example with all the steps. Yeah. yeah. Well, so so this is really exciting because I actually just got tested yesterday, but I don't have my results back. But the last time I was tested was uh, five months before that. I was tested for chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, HIV. Um, I also you should. Or I was clear for all of those things. I have herpes one. Um, so if you're going to get freaked out by playing with somebody who has herpes, please don't play with me. Um, I've never had an outbreak that I know of, so I don't know where it's located. Um, I have been, I've had my vaccinations for hep A and B. Um, and in that last test, I also was tested for hep C and I was, I was clear on that. 
Um, I'm a queer polyamorous slut. I sleep with a lot of people. So if that's going to freak you out to sleep with somebody who sleeps with a lot of people, we shouldn't sleep together. I'm in a primary relationship with my partner, Allison Moon. Um, she is the only person currently that I have unprotected penis vagina sex with. For everybody else, even when I'm being penetrated, we need to use condoms. Um, I am queer. I sleep with all kinds of people who have all kinds of genitals, and I like that. If that's going to freak you out to sleep with somebody like that, please do not sleep with me. Uh, since last time I was tested, uh, no condom breaks or anything like that. Uh, I haven't had a vasectomy, by the way, so I am fully loaded, just so you know, in case that's a concern. Something that I like, I love strap-on sex, and I love oral sex. I super, I live to go down on people. Something I don't like is I don't like pain. So if you need to hit me to come, you get one shot. Don't hit me in the face and don't hit me in the nuts. Enjoy. Make it count. <laughs> and that's a little bit about me. How about you? And again, like these are just guidelines. Yeah, these are guidelines, these seven steps. You can move them around. People who are kinky add in a whole bunch of other stuff. I'm not really kinky. Um, but you might want to drop in your safe words or your pronouns in the beginning when you're sharing about yourself, your win-win information. Um, and that's basically how the Safer Sex Elevator speech goes. And that's a really great way to establish communication in a way where you can start to assess what kind of engagement or play or if you want to play with somebody at all. And somebody, an adult who cannot have this conversation they might be super shy um, and maybe you want to give them a little bit more time to have the conversation if they're shy or introverted. But somebody who can't have this conversation at all, I would say that that's a red flag for that you probably shouldn't be having casual sex with them. Somebody who can't have that conversation unless they're completely drunk, I'm going to say is a red flag. Um, somebody who needs to have this conversation and can only have it when they're completely stoned. I'm going to say you should, you know, proceed with caution. I like that. And uh, one on, on the note of casual sex, but um, so this is kind of the intro. This is for new partners. So say you have casual sex with someone. It's amazing. You want to keep having casual sex with them, but you want to keep it casual. Do you have any tips on how to have that conversation about uh, I'm not looking for something serious, but I want to continue playing with you? Maybe that's the conversation. But do you have any expert I, tips? I do. I have expert tips because I made all the mistakes. Because being a nice guy who had a job in New York City um, and had his own apartment, like what would happen is I would have, you know, and who was kind of a sex geek and a nerd back then. I wasn't the, the sex geek that I am now, but like I was really enthusiastic and excited about pleasuring people. So imagine, you know, a, a nice person who brought you back to their apartment. Um, who wasn't pressury or creepy or rapey or anything like that. Like if somebody said no, I was – oh, I was like, okay. Somebody was too drunk. I'd be like, well, let's have sex in the morning. Like let's – we're too drunk right now. Like let's not have sex right now. Like back in the 90s, nobody was doing that in New York City. So I, I got this reputation for being the really – the sweetheart guy who would – who wouldn't take advantage of you but who would fuck your brains out. And then what would happen was everybody would fall in love with me. And so this weird and – and that 
I know that sounds egotistical, but what what was happening was there were, and this is still the date to to date. I think what's going on with a lot of people is people are just starved for quality connection, and people are starving to just be treated like nice, decent human beings. Whereas, like I was gonna, I was gonna have pancakes for breakfast anyway. Let me cook you pancakes, and then you know it's four o'clock in the morning by the time we're done with sex. Like it's really late. Like, why don't you just sleep over? Like you don't have to go home now. Like that's stupid. I'm not going to kick you to the curb. Like sleep over. Well, I'll make pancakes in the morning. So what was happening was I was meeting these really awesome people, having this really great sex, treating them really nicely. And then everybody was getting attached emotionally. And I, it would take me a while to realize why people were angry at me. Because I was trying to be real with people like, hey, like I'm, I want to keep it casual. But there was a lot of emotional entanglement that was happening because what was happening is whenever you can create or if you're lucky enough to to be able to create safe space for people where they feel great and they get to be free in bed, there are a bunch of triggers or tripwires that can get triggered that really just kind of release our imprinting mechanisms. Like it's, it's really like how we fall in love. And then the thing that's really difficult is for, for a lot of people, once you start to fall in love, like uh, we know this now because there's some great brain research out there with functional MRI machines and whatnot. But, you know, we know now that the brain centers that are active when you are in love are the same brain centers that are active when you are addicted to cocaine. When you break up, what happens is your blood chemistry starts to approximate somebody who's having a, a compulsive obsessive disorder. Um, but, uh, but, so, but the idea is most people don't know how to keep emotions simple when they start to fall in love and become emotionally attached. And it's not – I'm not saying that love is a bad thing. I'm just saying that love is you high on the brain chemistry of love and that what I needed to figure out was how do I have amazing sex with people but leave the campsite better than I found it, which meant how do we have a friends with benefits situation but keep things simple? Because if I really wanted to keep the campsite better than I found it, then I needed to figure out a way for us to be able to be connected and intimate but not fall in love in a way that would make it all super upsetting. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And, and so what I ended up kind of noticing as somebody who was having a lot of sex with a lot of people back then was – was what was making it work for for somebody versus when it would go horribly wrong with somebody else. And so basically what I came up with was these ideas of the safer – or not safer sex because that's the elevator speech. But the casual sex protocols. And so if people are curious and they want to download the protocols, like I have them so you can print them out and kind of walk yourself through it. But the protocols, um, you can go to readaboutsex.com forward slash protocols and you can download, you can sign up for and download the email 
um, with the link so that you can get the the what's basically a checklist of what the casual sex protocols are. So basically, it's it's seven um, seven basic protocols, and then there's a couple of bonus ones that just kind of make it all like very 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 run very very well. Um, so the first casual sex protocol, casual sex protocol number one, is and again like this is all under the umbrella of you are trying to help each other not fall in love before you really want to do that kind of thing. Right. So, you know, again, I'm not poo-pooing on falling in love, but it's more being mindful and intentional. So you don't create weird entanglement in emotions that the two of you have kind of agreed, you know, you don't want to have. So this idea of, you know, like you're friends with benefits or you find somebody that you, you want to hook up with. Um, protocol number one is limit having sex to once a month. And this sounds kind of weird, but, you know, if you're seeing somebody, if you're shagging them, you know, once a week, it's kind of like you're dangerously close to actually having in a relationship. Like even if you're trying to not have a relationship, but you're seeing each other every week to have sex, um, that starts to make things a little bit more complicated around that, you know, um, when you're releasing all those endorphins, the, the oxytocin. If you see somebody one one time a month for sex, um, a lot of people tend not to fall in love or obsess with people if they only see them once a month. Casual protocol number casual sex protocol number two is being mindful and limit how you stay in contact and communicate. Because some people be like, well, Reed, you know, we're sleeping once a month, but it's still weird. And I'm like, well, are you guys texting every day and Facebooking each other and Skyping all the time? And they're like, oh my God, like, yeah, like we communicate every day. And then, you know, we're on the phone like at least once a week for like two hours at a time. And I'm like, well, if you're talking to them every day, and spending multiple hours on the phone or on Skype or something with each other and you're having sex once a month, do you know like that's that's kind of like what a lot of people's marriages look like. Like you're having a relationship even if you don't think you're having one. Well, Reed, every also, time because I'm in the casual sex space, I just wanted to ask a question. So yeah. like, for me, something that's helpful is minimizing my expectations. So let's say you're not having mm-hmm. all of this communication. Do you think minimizing expectations from a casual sex regular partner once a month or whatever it is, is helpful? Or is that something that you have? Any well, yeah, well, the, the, the minimize like so this is all built on and predicated on the fact that you're you're being honest and transparent with each other and talking about this stuff, right? So what I would recommend is you print out the, the protocols and you have you go through them with the people that you're banging to make sure you're all on the same page. Where people start to trip up is they're trying to keep it at friends with benefits. They're trying to stay casual, but they're texting every day and they're getting like their endorphin hit from their drug dealer. Yeah. Every time they communicate or they're they're creeping up and yeah, and you're checking out their Facebook page every day, times a day. Yeah. Instagram. Every time. Yeah. Every time you do that, it's basically you're giving yourself a little dopamine hit from your drug dealer who's giving you your brain cocaine. 
casual sex protocol number three. So let's say that you, you got sex down to once a month. You only communicate with each other, you know, when you're setting up your next hookup or so. Um, the next place where people will kind of make the mistake is casual sex protocol number three is don't do sleepovers. Because, now there are exceptions to all these rules, but when you do a sleepover, people tend to have the sex at night, then they sleep next to each other, all cuddled up and cozy. Maybe you wake up in the morning before they do, and you're watching them sleep with their breath rising, and you're just like in the morning light, you're like, oh my God, they look so dreamy. Yeah. It's just, it's kind of creepy, but it's kind of like, wow. So they what, just, you have to have beautiful. sex and then they leave or you ask them to leave you well, work it out. But this, well, because the thing is, if you have sex at night, sleep over and then bang each other the next morning, some people, that's enough. That's enough for them to start to get, get hooked on each other. Attach right. Me. Like how many, have you? Have you ever had that 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 date that turned into a three day date? Oh, a hundred percent. Too many times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is the thing: people don't want it to end, and you're just—it's just like you're doing lines of cocaine over and over again. And then, if you're socially starving, like you don't—you haven't had a relationship in a long time, you're not getting enough healthy touch. So, if you you have that three day bender, um, and you're you're checking each other's Facebook profiles and texting for the next three days. And then you see each other Wednesday night and then you have another sleepover. Like you just broke all the, the first two protocols and you've just been dumping your brain chemistry with endorphins nonstop. And that'll be enough for some people to start to fall in love, especially if they're good people. So don't do sleepovers. Protocol number four is beware of the morning sex. Because if you have, you know, maybe it's okay to have the sleepover, but having sex at night and then sex the next morning, maybe that's where it gets a little tricky for you or for your partner. It's it's more just looking at these protocols as guidelines and then figuring out where you can, you know, maybe you have a little bit of wiggle room, you know, for you, you two, it might be fine to, to have sleepovers and have morning sex. But if you're doing that every weekend then that puts you in the in a perfect storm scenario to start to fall in love. Um, or it just makes things more complicated. Casual sex protocol number five is no trips or weekend getaways together. Why do you think that is? I'm blowing it with it, my, all of these casual <laughs> sex protocols with my tier one. Man. All right. Good to know. But, but why, uh, why wouldn't you want to take a trip just... or a weekend? Guaranteed a lot of time together to connect and go deep and for all the hormones and oxytocin. And let's and, share a room and let's go shopping and grocery shopping. And oh shopping. my God, I know when you're pooping and what it oh, smells like in the time of day. Do you use Febreze? <laughs> Don't use Febreze. But like, but again, like, but a long weekend getaway together breaks all of the protocols that came before it. You're having morning sex. You're doing sleepovers. You're staying in communication 24-7. You're having more more than one time a month sex. And so long getaways or that three-day weekend date bender, that's where people come out of the other end wanting to rent the U-Haul and move cross-country. Similar for, for people who do retreats and meet at a yoga retreat or a tantra retreat and then bang each other all weekend. You know, they have this intimate 
exploration and expansive experience and then they think that they're soulmates and they rent the U-Haul the next day. I'm not saying that any of this is wrong. I'm just saying be mindful of how you fall in love and basically get stoned on each other and then help the people that you're having casual sex with also keep it casual so that they don't create these unwanted uh, entanglements. Love it. Are you ready for the next one? Six. Yeah, next Run one. Six. Next one. Number six. Okay. Okay. So, so this one, this isn't for everybody, but this has been my experience, is that a thing that helps people not fall in love so much or become attached or imprinting on each other is group sex. So threesomes, foursomes, moresomes, they tend to diffuse how people imprint on each other. I like it. So have group sex. For some of you who are like, <laughs> all right. So explore, explore having threesomes. Um, explore, you know, having intentional, you know, group sex. Uh, that will help some people because every once in a while I've got a coaching client or somebody who wants advice and they're like, Reed, I fall in love really easily. I just do. And I'm like, well, have you tried dating a couple or having, you know, foursomes or something like that? Because maybe that's what you need right now. You're focused on your career. You don't want to have a relationship. You don't have the bandwidth for it or you're just you're still getting over your old relationship. Um, but you fall in love really easily. Well, I mean, maybe maybe going to an orgy will solve that for you. It's, it's a thing. It's, you know, it's not for everybody, but it's, you know, consider it. It might be the thing that solves it for you. The, the last protocol before we get to the bonus ones is get your sexual and your social needs met from several sources. So, you know, a lot of people, you might have your friend with benefits, but if the only touch and snuggling that you're getting in your life is from your friends with benefit, like there's an opportunity if you're getting your, your, your social needs and maybe other kind of sensual needs or sexual needs met from multiple people, it'll make it harder for you to, to imprint or latch on to just one person. Um, I used to so have again, this thing you know, when, when it, back in my back in my single days where I would call it having a playlist. So you would have you know different partners that you would play with at different times depending on you know where you were in the moment energetically um, or you know where you're going to be, and you would just kind of play around on your playlist so that it would kind of diversify the energy that you were taking in. Yeah, exactly, and that's just also. You know, ten. You know, again, not everybody. So uh, introverts and shy people might not want to be, you know, running around with a bunch of friends all at the same time. But just understand, if you're not getting your social needs met, and you're not getting your social romantic needs met from anyone, you're basically going food shopping, starving. Mm. And and there's been studies that show, like when you when people go food shopping while hungry, you make worse food choices. So oh, yeah, again, around, around getting your social, uh, you know, your monkey needs met, your human being needs met from various sources, um, that can help a lot. And for people who want to be having, you know, sex three or four times a month, at least maybe you want to have three or four friends with benefits. And then that way, you know, if, if it's, it's, it's a little bit more work, but Hopefully you won't be as um, entangled or having other people entangled and angry at you because they want more than you want. 
the bonus protocols are really just kind of relationship things that help make casual sex even better, which is protocol number eight is talk openly about what's working for you and what's not working. Like practice in, in even your casualist of casual relationships that you talk about what's bugging you. You know, a little bit of processing will help keep things healthier um, and keep those expectations, you know, communicated. Uh, and, and you get to, to set what those expectations are, but you need to talk about them. Mind reading doesn't work in relationships. Uh, protocol number nine, I think this is just great manners. Thank folks within 24 hours for the sex they have with you. Oh, send them I a text. Thank yous. Oh, I've heard you say in a class before, yeah. actually send them a thank you card. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you really want to freak people out, like send people – if you have like a foursome or a fivesome or a threesome or something, send send everybody a thank you card for having group sex with you. It's awesome. It really makes your day because you're like, holy shit. Because a lot of people are worried the next day if what they did was okay. And sometimes they just need to hear from the person that they had sex with or made out with or – played spin the bottle with because it's not always about fucking that that you're a nice person like hey thanks that was awesome you rock and then they'll just worry a little bit less they might still have shame for themselves but at least they know that you think they're awesome um casual sex protocol number 10 always be practicing your safer sex protocols um you know so use condoms for penetrative sex uh, get tested at least twice a year is my opinion and then have sex with people who do those same things, who can have the conversation with you, who want to use condoms for penetrative sex, who also get tested two or three times a year. Uh, that just helps keep everything a lot healthier, and it's great assessment protocol. Uh, the last two bonus protocols are respect people's privacy. This is really important, especially like on college campuses and stuff like that. You know, brag about the sex you're having when you have permission to brag about it. Other than that, if you're gonna be slutty and have a lot of casual sex, it's nobody else's business. So, you know, gossiping and things like that, like just make sure you have permission to, to talk about the sex that you're having uh, in ways where you're revealing who it is. I mean, I think you can share about, hey, I got laid last night, it was amazing. But, you know, I got laid last night by Amy and it was amazing only works really well if Amy's okay with that. Last but not least, uh, leave the campsite better than you found it, which is the last bonus protocol, which really just kind of, you know, try to make sure everybody's a better person for having met you. And when in doubt, then then that's your signal not to do it. And that's it. All right. Well, it's the win-win. We Yay, love it. We, we did it. Reed, thank you so much. The main, the main things that I offer – um, if anyone's a sex educator or a workshop leader or somebody who who is helping people with relationships and intimacy, um, if you think you're a sex positive entrepreneur or some sort of sex educator, however you identify with that, one of the things that I love doing every year is I run an event called Sex Geek Summer Camp, which is a business retreat for sex educators to get together and network and bond but also learn better business practices so that we can reach and help more people and also pay our bills. Um, so for people who are interested in that, they can go to uh, sexgeeksummercamp.com. Um, but for folks who are interested in just getting better at relationships, I have a six-week online relationship course called relationship10x.com. And uh, you can get some free training videos there. 
and uh, and get invited to do the course for people who want to feel more confident about sexuality and, and sexual skill sets and learning how to how to have better orgasms and how to understand other people's bodies so you can help your partners and your lovers, whether it's an anonymous hookup or a long term relationship, um, have better sex and, and more pleasure. Then you can go to sex10xonline.com and those two courses exist under this larger umbrella for me, which is really just about like high performance relationships. It's like, how do you just get more out of your, the relationships that you're having, whether that's sexual only or sex and intimacy, or if it's just intimacy and communication that you're looking for. And so those, those are the main things that I do. And, and then I offer a bunch of other kooky workshops from blowjobs to, to threesomes to everything. Actually, I have taken one of your workshops before years ago at the Pleasure Chest, L.A. It was wonderful. It was a Tantra workshop. Amy actually did your uh, sex geek camp as well, and she had amazing things to say about it. So you're definitely a pioneer in this mm. uh, world of sex education, and uh, it's really brilliant to have you on our show. So thank you. Well, th thanks for for giving people an opportunity to think more about these things, and you know, and really like I'm honored that I get to help people not feel awkward and clumsy around sex and intimacy. And then I'm, I've, you know, at this point I get a lot of feedback from people that I, I've really helped them avoid going through the hell that I saw my mom and dad went through. Um, you know, and so that means a lot to me and, and that you two trust my work and, and give me a, an opportunity to talk to you and share it with your listeners. That means a lot to me. So thanks. Aww. Like what you hear? Well, then head on over to shamelesssex.com for more podcasts and information on our latest happenings.